Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by voiceover artists, we make your life sound more exciting than it is. Now let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Dawn of the Wolf Part 2, the sequel to Dawn of the Wolf, but with way more Dawns. Rent it now on VHS and LaserDisc. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. I am Wes. <laughs> and I am Todd. And we're filmmakers, uh, writers. I've been a full-time writer-director for over a decade now. Lately, been doing a lot more writing and directing instead of just like, hey, can you show up and capture this interview? Like, that stuff is fun and there's an art to it. But it's so much more fun when you get to tell an entire story out of your brain dome. And so that's really fun. You've been a, a full-time producer for ages now. And I'm curious to hear what that path looked like to you. Like, I have my view of how Todd got into the uh, the producer game, but I'd be curious to hear some of your milestones and, and how you got to where you are. We've never heard this story <laughs> on the show anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well... Let's let's see. How did I get to where I am? Uh, that's a that's a good question. I don't, I don't even know. So when I so I've been a musician most of my life, and that's where most of my creative outlet had been. And then when I moved to Austin, how did I get? I don't even know how I got the the job with Byron at uh, JJ Kent. at JJ Kent. <laughs> oh, through Ryan Vaughn. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another musician. So, so when I, yeah, another musician friend of mine, Ryan, uh, who went to the same college I went to. That's kind of how we knew each other. I don't even know how I know Ryan. <laughs> honestly, maybe I know him a little bit through playing music in college. But he hooked me up with a with a job uh, where I met you, and that job. Then we got bought by a company that made a lot of content. Right. I mean, we were we were handling content and and managing you know, video uploads and stuff. This is back in the like, you know, make as much content as you can days, right? Early to mid 2000s, mid to late 2000s. We got bought by a company that made a lot of content and they started or had a, a video team. And after working on content with them for a while in the, in the kind of like SEO space and uh, data collection space, I moved over to the video team because I thought that that seemed really cool. I mean, I'd always liked movies, but I, you know, it wasn't, I was very focused on music. So I started managing their producers and uh, they had a bunch of producers around the country and a bunch of filmmakers around the country. And the, the whole thing was to marry them together. So a producer would work with a filmmaker on a project and the filmmaker would give their, their, uh, finished videos to the producer, the producer would upload them and, and QA them and all that stuff. And it was actually a really cool system for like producing a lot of content. And so I helped produce that. I, I helped manage that team. And by a lot of content, you're talking thousands of videos per month. Thousands. Yes. Yeah. Of really crappy videos <laughs> a month. This Correct. was... <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, it was about volume, qua quantity, not quality. Yeah. 100%. So it obviously didn't last because mm -hmm. that's garbage. Yeah. But but I got a taste of what it felt like to actually produce and to work with other people 
to make something and, and uh, video uh, on video. And that was really cool. And then while I was doing that, I was also acting on the side and I got a couple of gigs at this company called Spice Works where I was a, you know, like a presenter, like a, like on some of their videos and I would, hmm. you know, yeah. And, and so they, they had me in, uh, we did the filming. They liked it. They called me back a couple of times and, and it was, it was great. It was a good relationship. Anyway, a couple of years go by. And at this point I'm managing a cryotherapy studio in Round Rock, Texas, because they had laid everyone off at our studio and I just needed to work because I had two children at that point. I still do. But <laughs> um, and then the head of that studio walks in to get a treatment. And I was and I recognized him and I remembered his name. I said, Travis, how you doing, man? We struck up a conversation, told him I was definitely looking to get back into to production and not a couple months later, he hits me up and says, hey, we have an opening for a junior producer position. Would you be interested? Absolutely. Yeah. So I was able to jump back in there. And now I've been at Spiceworks for over five years and really love it. I'm a senior, I'm a senior manager of the crea whole creative services team now. And I, j I just really love it. I enjoy it. So basically what I do is I produce not just all the video, but all the content we make, whether that's white papers or animations or websites or whatever. And I just love that because, well, one, I think there's something to be said about producers knowing how things are done, but allowing other people to do it their way. Right. So I'm not one of those people where I can just let you do what you do and not know how the sausage is made. I have to know how, how it, it's made. Like, hmm. even if I don't understand all the nuts and bolts and I don't understand all the detail, that's fine. Yeah. But I do want to know what it takes to do what you do so that I can convey what's needed in or to the people that bring it in, in order to make sure you have what you need to do what you do. And that's been a, a kind of a paradigm shift, right? It, it, like in it within my company, because before it was just, we were the middleman almost the producer was the middleman and we would get the orders and then we would spit them out to the people that did the work and then they would do the work, spit it back to us. We'd give it back to the clients. Right. Mm. And I hate that. I hate that passive kind of like in between. There's almost no reason why you're there, you know? So, so now all our producers, I manage our producers and all our producers are very hands-on with everything and they will give feedback to to creatives. They know how to speak to creatives because creatives, you're a creative yourself. Somebody gives you feedback. There's a way that to give feedback and to, um, and, and that's not criticism. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, uh, almost welcomed, right? Uh, if you do it right, yeah. you know, like, if, and, and I'm not just talking about like how to in, engage with creatives. I'm also talking about like, I can't give you a note of something if you didn't have the thing to build correctly in the first place. Right. So if you don't have, let's say, for example, we're making a, an animation for Dell. Um, but they didn't give us uh, a couple of the assets. Right. And so we, our animator had to build them. Right. Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to critique the thing you built because they didn't give us what they said they were going to give us. What I'm going to do is I'm going to say, great job at doing what you had to do with not having what you needed to do it. And then I'm going to take it to the client and say, 
because you didn't give us what we needed, we just went ahead and did something. But but we know that really what it needs to be is what you need to give us. So don't come back and be like, this is wrong because of X, Y. Well, we're working with what we got here, people. <laughs> right. And then and yeah. then also how you start a conversation with a client is mm. how you start a project with the client is more important than any other conversation you ever going to have with them because it establishes the expectation. If I have, if I have a conversation with a client and I'm just thankful that they're there and that they're our client, that's not the way to go in. They need to be thankful that they're working for you and you need to be the one to tell them what is necessary to give them what you know they want. Yes. Right. I know you want the best possible thing and this is how we do it. You've got to get us this, 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 and this. Without those things, it's going to be less than that. So we'll do it. We can do anything. You know, the answer is yes, but it's yes and. Yes, and we require your your access to your, your digital asset manager. Yes, and we, we require um, your logo and or your brand guidelines. Yes, uh, but we require uh, a logo lockup if this is, you know, co-branded with something else. All of these things are necessary from you. This is a give and take relationship. So anyway, that's a long roundabout story, but that's how I got started. I just kind of started making stuff. And then when I felt like the position I was in might either be degrading or if the team that I was in or the, the space I was in might was degrading or like not really holding water, I'd look for another place to move before that happened. And then I would move in the other place to the other place and that would take a step farther. And then I would think, okay, what else do I want to do? Okay, well, I want to do audio. Okay, I want to learn that. So I'm going to learn that and then I'm going to dip my toe into that in the space that I'm in so I can understand that. Okay, okay, now I know understand that. Now I want to produce websites. Okay, well, how do I... Well, I got to understand the platforms that they use. I got to talk to to engineers. Okay, that that makes sense. Okay, now I want to I want to figure out how to manage people. Like, what does that feel like? Oh, okay, so I can move over here and and become like a, a junior manager or junior assistant um, uh, over here, people manager over here. Okay, okay, and I'll get that. And then all the while making sure that if I was doing something that was not part of the scope of my job, that everybody knew about it. That's cool. Otherwise it does, didn't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, tree falls in a forest kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And I know I'm speaking a little bit corporate, but I think that's really important in all aspects, right? Whether that's mm-hmm. corporate or that's creative, you know, if you do something, if you go above and beyond in an edit, like in an animation and you do something that took you like six extra hours, but you knew it was going to give you that extra two or 3%, right? You're going to call that out to the client and you're go- You're not going to say, oh man, I wanted, I-, I put in six hours and I was sweating the whole, and I, but you're going to say, yeah, I wanted to take this a little f- further. And so I normally wouldn't do this, but what I, I just, I felt like I really wanted this to pop. And so I put in some extra time and I did this, blah, blah, blah. And then they feel taken care of, Right. But if you don't tell them that, they don't know. Hmm. And so why would they think that what you did, they don't know how you do what you do. Why would they think that what you did was any more or less than what you did for somebody else? You know, 
Yeah, it's not uncommon for me to, in my invoice, insert all these things that I didn't charge them for. So that it's a zero line item, but oh. but I insert it so that they can see, hey, Wes didn't charge us for X, Y, Z. Nice. And it's just a slick way. It's very, you know, uh, non-confrontational and just like, hey, just a heads up. Here's all these extra things that you got uh, without lifting a finger. And so uh, congratulations. I love that. Yeah. That's a nice little touch. Yeah. Uh, I am curious, like, because there is something you didn't mention that I was curious uh, if it played any role in, which is what you were doing outside of your job. Because whenever you and I started creating stuff, like, uh, for your band, and you, at the first music video, uh, I think you were still managing the community of writers. And, but before that, before you and I started creating anything, you had already shot some music videos. You'd already been doing creative work. Uh, and then of course you and I started making stuff and I feel like, you know, I certainly was able to use what I was doing with you. And I did, I just, you know, me, I poured my absolute heart into everything we did. Um, and so I'm curious all that stuff, that first music video. And then by the time we shot the the short film threads, uh, I want to say you were, Starting to dovetail, everything was kind of this weird, wishy-washy place at Demand Media at the time where we were working. Um, and so I don't know how closely you were already managing producers at that point or uh, if it was just this weird hodgepodge. I don't know. I'm just curious if any of the stuff that you were doing outside uh, with me, with uh, with your acting, other stuff, how much of an influence or impact do you think that made on your ability to kind of jump into these new roles uh being more and more and more creative because initially i mean this is why i left my 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 job at demand medias they wouldn't let me be creative and so i was like all right well i gotta go um and then of course y'all started hiring me to do creative shit and it's like y'all could have had all this in house by the way <laughs> yeah yeah uh yeah man it, that's a great question i mean i honestly i thought oh we were just tying this to to film but yeah it it all well, I think it all adds in to me, like yeah. every part of my, my, my career and every, every time I think about what I would advise people to do is it's what you said a minute ago, which uh, you were alluding to at least of, yeah, okay, you want this thing, but you need the experience first. No one's going to pay you to do something that you can't do already. And so it's finding ways to grab that experience. Yeah, managing people, fine. Uh, maybe you can't just jump to manager, but maybe you can manage uh, a sub-community of people. And now you can demonstrate, yeah, I have leadership capability. I can keep everyone on task and happy. Like those are, that's a lot to juggle. And so finding ways to build your, por your portfolio, your resume out uh, in ways that, fine, maybe this isn't my job right now, but I can go in my downtime and create something. I can go create this experience for myself that now is in my resume. And I don't know if that played any impact on your journey as a producer. I was just curious if it did. Oh, totally. I mean, like, there's something that I really love about, and I think that any producer would say the same thing, about putting pieces together, hmm. right? And the pieces could be, getting a creative something that they need or it could be putting people together you know or it could be just like could be finding locations it could be putting something together so that whenever it's done you can say oh my gosh if i hadn't done this 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 and this that would not have happened and that feels really really good and i think that any producer of anything whether that's film or music or whatever probably feels the same way so like for threads I had been like honestly producing my band 
for mm, years. Good point. Like, yeah. If I didn't do the thing, the thing didn't get done. And that meant everything from, from, I mean, we wrote together, but like, if I didn't write lyrics or melody, like it didn't happen. Finding money to record, actually recording, talking to the people like that, uh, to, to studios, finding the best deals. We had to get mixing. We had to get mastering. We had to um, do artwork. We had to do uh, photos. We had to do, you know, like, like um, uh, online presence, like all of everything, like <laughs> tours, booking shows i mean i could keep going and it was everything it was all consuming debilitating volume of work and i did all of it and if anybody in my band wants to say otherwise they can come talk to me because i'm telling you i did it all i mean there would be one-offs here or there where the guys would do something yeah, but, I don't I don't think just from an outsider's perspective, I don't think there would be any contestation just because the minute you stop doing things, the minute the stop the band stopped being. Oh, good point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But so that felt not good because, you know, it was a band of multiple people all going to the same goal and to have one person doing everything just didn't feel good. But to all that to being said, I had that experience of just do it. Hmm. Right. The whole, the Nike thing, just do it. You just have to do it. If you don't do it, it doesn't get done. And that's the attitude that you have to have as a producer or as a, as a people manager or as anything. So when we had threads, I loved the idea and I thought we had such good people working on it that I wanted to, I wanted to care for it. I wanted to take care of it. I wanted to do everything that could possibly be done to make sure that it was as po as good as it possibly could be, right? Because it wasn't just the the video too. Mm. It was this music that was like everything we had had gone into that, right? And so why would I let it fall flat, you know, um having a great crew uh and and this music that I loved and our friends, you know, doing this, you know. So I put every Thing I had into it. And that felt really good at the end of knowing, man, you know, like I helped make that happen. That's, that's fantastic. And that's how I feel about everything that we make now. And you know, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Very cool. I mean, it's, it's always a weird story of how anyone starts a career, uh, especially one in the creative industry, like right now, I'm submitting to a bunch of interesting fellowships. Uh, and it's so competitive. I don't expect to actually win any of them, but uh, no risk, no reward. And so anyone that's a, whether they're an actor, a director, but especially a screenwriter, uh, you're, it's just such a weird, there is no one path. And that's kind of my point is your story is weird because it's yours. And any other story that you're going to hear is also going to be weird because it's going to be so unique and specific. And so if you have a, a dream or a goal or a passion that you're trying to, you know, make a living out of or just, you know, pursue for the fun of it, it's always going to take these weird bumps in the road. And as long as you're figuring out how can I figure out this next step, it's about the small steps. It's not about the big leaps. And, and if I can just find those small steps and they'll all add up to uh, this bigger goal and hearing your story, I think is really illustrative of that. And I've told my story a number of times and maybe I'll, I'll 
until next next week during the the preamble i've just been thinking about my earliest experience as a storyteller and i think that'll be fun um uh, to, to oh great through. heck yeah, yeah i want to hear that i mean it, the last thing i'll say is that like you 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 gotta like what you're doing at the time it doesn't mean that it has to be what you do forever in fact it's almost better that it's not because mm-hmm. then you know in five years then you are this well-rounded person that can do a lot of things and that's way better than somebody who's great at one thing let me be very clear about this if you're great at one thing you're only good great at one thing think about this right but if you're good at a lot of things you can do so much more right so it's okay to bust your butt at something learn a lot about it do as best you can overachieve And then if you don't feel it anymore, move on to something else. Or if you have an opportunity somewhere else, then take it. You don't have to stay in one place. You're not a tree, right? But while you're doing it, love it, right? And then you'll get much farther. You'll put more into it. And I really think that this is, it's whatever. You get out of life what you put into it. Anything that you're doing, you get out of it what you put into it. And it might feel like you're not getting anything out of it at some point. But that might be because you're not putting enough in Hmm. and it might feel like you're putting a lot in, but feeling has nothing to do with the real world. Yeah. You know, I'm where I'm at, at least professionally, because I have overachieved on purpose because I like what I do. Yeah. Right. I will over deliver. I will overachieve. I will over communicate. I will uh, like all of that stuff because not because I. You want to make more money. I know I'm I'm not going to be rich doing what I do, but because I like it and because I like the feeling of knowing, man, I, 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 I did that. And if, if I wasn't here, that wouldn't have gotten done to that caliber, you know? So if you have that attitude with whatever you're doing, you're going to eventually be successful. It's going to come back to you. Yeah, I love that's that. All about Being that. well-rounded is so good. And this will be, uh, we'll, we'll move on after this, but, uh, the last comment is it's the, the old adage has always been right. Uh, Jack of all trades, master of none. And I've always heard there's a little addendum that people leave out, which is yeah. Jack of all trades, master of none, better Jack of many instead of just one. And it's like, it's the idea of like, you can do so much more if you can do so much more. And there's something beautiful and amazing about people who are complete masters of the one thing that they love. Like, yeah, if I could go have sushi made by Hiro in Japan in the subway, like I want that experience. Uh, but if I'm, you know, living here and trying to achieve uh, a number of things, I might need to take on a lot of hats until I can just focus on the one thing that, you know, brings me the most pleasure. Uh, but luckily for me, I get, you know, I, I really enjoy so many things that, you know, I do in the, in the work that I do. And I know the same applies for you. So, uh, thanks for sharing that, man. I'm, I'm love hearing, you know, thanks for asking. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah. So today we are covering uh, Cyrano, the 2022 version with Peter Dinklage. So if you haven't seen this, please pause this episode, go watch it. It is streaming on Amazon, Amazon Prime. Yes, for sure. We'll look at a few things. Um, some of the cinematography and directing, uh, creating a moment of love. Uh, we'll look at some of the story and writing, uh, inev- inevitable death on stage, the pacing and structure. And again, spoiler alert, um, I also want to touch on the importance of tragedies as a, as a storytelling uh, device um, or genre uh, and other such stuff and things and stuff. And a quick synopsis of the film. 
Too self-conscious to woo Roxanne himself, wordsmith Cyrano de Bergerac helps young Christian nab her heart through love letters. Directed by Joe Wright, screenplay by Erica Schmidt, adapted from the stage musical by Erica Schmidt, based on the play by Edmund Rostand, and cinematography by Seamus McGarvey. That's the best name ever, by the way. Seamus. 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 Oh, Seamus. Is that how you say that? Mm -hmm. (sighs) Mm-hmm. I finally say Seamus. (laughs) I think Seamus is better. Uh, Featuring Peter Dinklage as Cyrano, Haley Bennett as Roxanne, Kelvin Harrison Jr. as Christian, and Ben Mendelsohn as Degish. The way I feel is like falling stars driving into cold ocean waves words can only get me so far but they cannot describe the way that it hurts cause every time I see you I am overcome I try to tell you Tell you how much I need you But I turn and run They're just a mask in a lonely coward's game I might lose everything if I lose the pain Cause every time I see you I am overcome It makes you have to think someone like me could keep someone like you Look what I've become Okay, man, we've made no secret over the course of this show that we don't do musicals. We don't like them. We look, they're, the musicals, quote unquote, that we like aren't really musicals or dramas with music in them. So I'm curious, like for you, does this make it past the hurdle of being an actual pure musical uh, and something that you can enjoy? Yeah, yeah. And let me... Yeah, let, let me let me pref or say a couple of things. First off, I think that <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's fun. Okay, I think that Haley Bennett is fantastic, and I want to see her more in in a lot of other things. I think that her performance is really really great. I think that Peter Dinklage is fantastic in this film too. Obviously, Ben Mendelsohn is perfect you, you you hate him which is perfect he's always the role that you hate um which means that he's good actor so okay knowing that this is adapted from from a play right i can mm-hmm. see this as a play yeah so i'm watching it from a play standpoint i'm watching it from a from a almost like we are locked into this space 
and everything that is going to happen is going to happen within this space. Like if you watch like a normal film, a normal film, there is no kind of um, there's no kind of walls or or kind of you feel like you could go everywhere or be anywhere or do anything. Right. But in this film, it's very much scenic, like meaning we are in this space, this space we are going to stay mm-hmm. for a certain amount of time. I mean, the, you know, the the play in the in the opening, I guess, mm-hmm. oh, not the opening, but like the first play in the theater. We are in this scene, you know, we're always facing one direction, right? We never, I mean, we come in, you know, facing the stage, but then pretty much the sta- it's, it's always, it's like stage right for most of the time, unless mm-hmm. we're looking at, at Roxanne, right? It's, it's very staged. Yeah. And then after that, when, when, Sir- when we're in that kind of courtyard area where Cyrano is talking to his friend and there's the steps and everything like it's very set up mm-hmm. like it would be on a stage yep. and it almost feels like that all the time you know where we're in this space you know and this is where we're going to live um i mean it, there are some times where we're in multiple spaces where the song is playing but that's because they're singing to each other from a long distance and mm-hmm. it's it kind of has to be but that's well, the for only, the most part kind of, of it is we kind of set up a scene and then we kind of hang out in a space yeah you're right yeah yeah just like the clip you played mm-hmm. you know uh, where we're just always in this this space and we stay here. So watching it from the point of view of let's let's look at this like a play. Like I imagine sitting in a theater watching this on a stage. Uh, all of a sudden it has a different feel. All of a sudden it feels like, oh, this is and this is adapted for the screen oh. rather than I'm trying to make this into a movie. And so I thought that they they honored that really well. It felt good. It felt like. Yeah, like I was watching a play, you know, there were different acts. I could I could feel the changes um, and and yeah, it felt really good. Um, I will say some, you know, and, and also the music was very play like it was very, mm-hmm. you know, that's how I got through it, too. Like if I was just watching a musical, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, that's a, that's a little corny. Right. But if I imagine this being on a stage and me being in a theater, it would be beautiful. It would be. Like, mm. yeah, very poignant, very on point. This is what I'm saying to you, um, rather than being a little bit more cryptic, like a lot of musicals, you know, might be at some point. But anyway, so coming at it from that point of view of this is a, a stage adapted script and I'm watching it like a play, uh, I thought it was really enjoyable. And there were a couple of I, I didn't like all the music, to be mm. honest. Same, In fact, yeah. I didn't like most of it. Oh, wow. But I did like that. Yeah, I did like that tr- that song, over overcome. It's very the national, isn't it? Oh, so in fact, yeah. In fact, on the ending credits, is that the national? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, he, I he I wrote knew the music, it. Yeah. Okay, I knew it. I knew he was singing because because I was like I recognize that voice, and I meant to go look it up to see <laughs> is that the national? I pretty sure. What I want to ask you. Ooh, ooh. Is did you recognize him? Uh, recognize and him. It, I mean, there's, there's a, there was one person that I recognized that wasn't. I mean, obviously, like Haley Bennett and Peter Dinklage, I, I recognized. But uh, I recognized in the war uh, the redheaded dude from Once. 
Glenn Hansard. Okay, that's who I was asking. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's his eyes yeah. and, and his, uh, his his teeth, the way uh, his lips and teeth kind of go together. That was like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. Um, I have to memorize very yeah. specific features on people. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, but yeah. I just wanted to make sure because <laughs> the second I saw him, I was like, I wonder if Wes is going to spot him. Always, oh it God, makes me really better. warm and fuzzy every time I do recognize someone and get it right. I'm like, ah, yeah, hey. Yeah. Hey, guys, I'm No, people. you got it right, man. <laughs> Um, so the two songs that I loved and that stuck with me were that one mm. and were overcome and was though the one during the war that, that Glenn Hansard sa- sang or started singing heaven is wherever I fall or unreal how beautiful that was. I mean, I love, I, I also loved how the camera work treated it very much like a play too. Yeah. And where we hung on things a long time, we let actual emotions kind of like sit there and almost a little awkward, like it would be on a play, but even more awkward because we're forced to look at Peter Dinklage while he processes something instead of if it was a play, we could look at Roxanne and we could look at Cyrano at the same time. No, we are looking at just Cyrano right now. And then, or in that, the scene where Glenn Hansard is singing at the end there, uh, heaven is wherever I fall. We are just hanging on him while, while he's singing. We're not cutting away. We're not doing inserts. We're not punching in. We're not pulling out to reveal why it's just him. And we do that for each of the three soldiers. And I just adored that way of, of filming that to honor the play, you know, by not trying to cut around and turn it into a film. And that song just ripped me apart. <laughs> each, each, each guy having a different reason to write a letter, explaining it, and, and it's just such a, so good right before they go to war. And then, yeah, it's really good. That whole, I mean, that song is so amazing to me because it does something most movies don't do, which is step away from our main characters and humanize people in a war. Yes. Like these are just random guys. We've never seen them before. We're clearly never going to see them again, but suddenly the war starts to have a lot more weight emotionally to it. Um, because now you're starting to get to know people that are on the front lines, uh, that are going to their death. They know it. Um, and this is their goodbyes. The, the, uh, Glenn Hansard, uh, his letter is to his wife. And then, uh, the next guy is like, kids. Yeah, and his kids, uh, his sons, right? Uh, and then the next guy's like, I have a girl. I have a girl. And, you know, he sings to his girl. And then you're like, okay, is this all about that kind of love? The third guy, I have a father. And yeah. he starts talking about how maybe he's not the best dad, but I love him anyway. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's real. Like, people have complicated emotions with people they love. And exploring that right as they're about to go to their death. How cool is that? And then there's a shot. Oh, my God, bro. The shot where they do start march, uh, marching into war and the, the gun guns are going off. And there's this brief three, four second shot of a soldier getting hit and falling and being immediately replaced by an even younger soldier. Like he steps yeah. right into his place. It's so heartbreaking and beautiful, and uh, and they cut away. They don't linger on it. They don't pound it home. Instead, 
you have to ruminate on it. Uh, you're just like, what did I just see? Oh my God. And it just suddenly war uh, becomes this really bitter pill uh, for everyone. Uh, and yeah, if it's, I mean, I came into this movie hating war, but it's so much easier whenever they throw these ideas at you so covertly um, without like uh, berating you over it. And then of course, at the end of the film, you know, we have this unrequited love uh, uh, suddenly, you know, gaining foothold and he can't experience it. And that's a whole other message of the film. But it is also because of war. It's not just because of his pride. Uh, war stole something from uh, both of them. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, the music, there's maybe two tracks that don't really work for me. The rest really work for me. For me, it, it works really well when it's uh, playing into the melancholy, uh, when it's trying to do this more upbeat thing or uh, the Geese song whenever he's marching back to, to interrupt their, their, their marriage. That doesn't really work for me. It, as far as it does work, it's because it's been Mendelssohn. It's not because uh, that, that music and this uh, uh, kind of whatever scar taking back the kingdom kind of, you know, bumpiness uh, uh, march. I yeah that that starts to feel a little too more too musical for me. Same thing towards the beginning, uh, where they're kind of playing with this hip hop tone. They don't go full hip hop, which I appreciated, but they dance close enough to it where I'm I'm ejecting while uh, Cyrano is uh, uh, berating the the actor on stage, and they're going and he has that whole you know with the with the other guy, and I I'm just like oh, okay, uh, and so my first time watching this. I'm like really getting into it. And then she starts singing in the, the, the carriage and I'm like, Oh God, why is she singing? <laughs> and, and, and so it had, it takes until the baker, um, the, the song in the bakery is whenever it starts winning me over and I'm like, okay, this is interesting. And then the yeah. song with the soldiers. Um, and there's that beautiful, it's a brief, brief shot. Again, these brief shots that they, they they hit you with without like you know belaboring it's just so wonderful but it's this uh shot where we see the the soldiers dancing from above it's the aerial shot right where the water is uh surrounding the barracks and they're all kind of flowy and and i'm like oh man that's beautiful like you could also make a version of this movie without any dancing and I'd probably love it a little bit more, but the fact that they still find these moments of absolute beauty, it was like, okay, you know what? I love the music enough. I'm head over heels of, on, on this story. And I think those two things were enough to like really pull me all the way in, uh, especially from the moment of the Baker, uh, the confession of her love to him and that heartbreaking sequence of, him thinking he's talking about her and realizing he's uh, she's not uh, and it's like oh i was committed i think from that moment forward up until that point it was like eh, i don't know it's peter dinklage i'm going with it uh, and then finally yeah. it was just kind of pushed me all the way in yeah were there other moments for you that was like oh this is really working for me and i'm uh, i'm feeling you know the the emotional weight of it all i mean the the, the scene you talked about when she confesses her love for christian to Cyrano mm. and in the, at the bakery and he's just demolished, but can't say it. Like that was such a great performance by Peter Dinklage. I, I mean, how do you play that? I mean, that you almost have no, you know, you don't have any lines really. It's all in your face. And, but if you, you've got to make it, it's so weird because you've got to make it believable. 
to people watching you, but not to the person who you're acting with or, or to the character you're acting with. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that is, that's like one of the hardest, I would imagine one of the hardest scenes to deliver, like something like that. I mean, I mean, we know that he loves her, but um, we need to see the pain without him showing the pain too much to her. And, uh, and I thought he did just an amazing job. And uh, let me and see. How about what his a, voice? How about that dude's voice? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Like he. And are they, they're really singing. Yeah, I think it's kind of a 70-30 thing. Some of these musical Most sequences yeah. are uh, in studio and they're syncing. But some of them, like the scene we played, I would be nearly 100% sure that was like them performing uh, into camera. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then like, and I totally agree. Uh, I think most of it was actually sung. I mean, after the, when he starts singing after he leaves and they're going to get married, I can actually hear the tone change when he turns his head. Right. Like, right. I can actually, I can literally hear that in that. That was one moment where I was like, oh, okay. Yep. I heard it. I I noticed that everything is perfectly in sync. It's not, it's, it's pretty obvious. I mean, I'm very sensitive about those kinds of things. Same, but it's such a major, major difference when an actor can be in the moment singing and you can see the cracks in their voice, uh, the, the hesitation, right there on their face and it's all realized right there you to do that with a track you have to predict what your performance is going to be on the day and so you're in studio imagining i'm going to perform it this way uh and we're just too good at reading faces like you know when someone is uh sinking because you can't create these little little tiny moments like we're in the in the in the uh in the war in the cave and we're watching glenn hansard and the other two guys they're doing they're they're breaking their voice um they're they're doing these little minor hesitations that are just a hair off beat and and then right back in it like they're doing all these tiny things that you can only do into camera you just can't predict it in the studio yep and even if you try your damnedest it's not going to be the same even if the performance is the same, the timing isn't going to be the same. And even if they perfectly sync it up in post, it's still not the same. It just, there's learning something from Les Mis, learning something from Once, like those are on another level because of those things, because that extra, and I know it's just, it's very hard to do. I think the way they did it in Les Mis is they actually sung it on set and then, and then they scored with the, right. with the I think you're right. symphony after it to the picture, right? So because there's ebbs and flows with timing and everything, and I'm sure that that's harder, but it's so worth it. And when you have, when you have the ability to do that, and you've got actors and uh, that can that can actually sing, take advantage of that. Like that, you're never gonna get that perfection in post. You're just not. It's not, and it's also it's not like CGI where it's like getting better every time, like every year, like, no, it's really not. And honestly, maybe CGI isn't getting better. (laughs) For being honest, you watch the original uh, Jurassic park and tell me that anything we've done since is better. Yeah. So I love that they actually sung into camera and they went that extra mile. And and also, you know, this is a, this is supposed to be adapted from a play. You're not going to, 
sing in post 90% of the stuff and then just play it back. No, you're going to actually sing on stage. And so they honored that. And I, I just, I loved that. I adored it. God, it's so good. Yeah. I'll run through a few notes. I think, uh, it's, I, I, I was head over heels. I was just really happy that I finally watched a musical that I was excited to watch again. And it was funny whenever, you know, we committed to doing it. I was like, ah, what if I don't like it the second time? And then once I got into it, one same point, same once the baker hits that, that scene, I was like, oh, I, I could live here for a while. Uh, and really yeah. I could hang out with those three actors, uh, Dinklage, Haley Bennett and Kelvin Harrison Jr. Like them all three together working is just, there's so much chemistry. It's just yeah. amazing to me. Yeah cinematography and directing and I love, can, yeah, can i say one thing one more thing i love how they had not just a bunch of white people but they never called out any race at all like the fact that that christian was a black guy was never even part of the conversation it had nothing to do with anything it was just she loves him he loves her he doesn't know how to speak cyrano does and and it was it was just this it was just that I thought that that was so good because I was waiting at some point because I didn't know the story. Mm. I was waiting at some point for someone to say, say, uh, oh, you know, yeah, th that black guy or whatever. But no, nobody ever called anything out. It just was. So just I love that. that. I, we need so much more of that where we can just do a period piece or anything. And if it isn't rooted in that, you know, race topic, then just leave it alone. Let people be people. We're, we're still. Yeah all just human beings and I, I find it ridiculous that you know you can make so many films and we have we'll make so many more that address that and we need that uh we also need to see people just coexisting i think that's even healthier uh, uh to live in that kind of world visually uh so that we can mentally project it you know into our own lives um yeah yeah so cinematography and directing i think one of the things, and you mentioned it already, and I love it, uh, was some of the stillness that they were sitting with, like the singing on the steps with Labrette. That's the moment you were talking about at the beginning where uh, he's just made his confession. Labrette is, was reading his face and he was like, just come off it, bro. <laughs> like, we know. And Dingle was like, ah, oh, fine. Yeah, what of it? Um, and then, you know, he kind of gets starts that, that that his heart song which is uh, uh to love someone madly and there's that moment where they're on the steps together and we just hang out on this one shot we stick there and i love it uh there's no unnecessary camera movement or cuts uh to you know quote unquote add visual interest uh there's there's none of that and it i love it because there's too many shows and films that move the camera just to have that visual interest uh and i think it too often undercuts the moments where it would have an actual impact on the story to move the camera because that exists too. And if you don't do it with intention, you know, as often as you can, then you're, you're, you're stealing thunder from yourselves. Um, and I wish, especially TV shows are really bad about this. They'll just, you know, throw something on a steady cam and just move, just keep moving no matter what, just keep moving. I'm like, why? Like, to, it looks better. We're, we're going to have, uh, you know, four minutes of conversation and we, we don't think people are patient enough to sit and listen to this conversation. Well, first of all, you probably need to rewrite it then because that means your characters aren't doing anything interesting enough to engage the audience and, and start there. Uh, yeah, it's just frustrating. I love this film being so patient with that, uh, which I think is echoed again 
And I uh, to hammer it home, uh, that scene where Christian and Roxanne at the beginning, uh, beginning-ish, uh, see each other in the crowd, right? There's this nice, beautiful moment where they don't talk. And we know absolutely that love is in the air. And I, I want to just kind of break out how they did that, which is there's this really nice slow push on both of them, right? We see a nice slow push on Roxanne and a reverse of one on Christian. And we hold for a really long beat. And what they do is they silence everything, like all the crazy theater noises, the singing, the song that's going on goes dead quiet. And we've also stilled the camera because up until that point, we have been moving the camera, whipping it around all over the place from the opening shot. It's been nothing but move, 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 move until we got to that moment with Labrette and, and, and Cyrano. Uh, and then we're back on. Oh, no, that's even after the scene, actually. Um, so maybe even all the way up until this moment, the camera's been moving. And now suddenly it's just still. And without a word or sound, we know that they're crazy about each other. And it's the absence of all the movement and all the sound that creates that. And so some films get too focused on motion for motion's sake or dialogue to explain what you're seeing when absolute stillness speaks far more clearly than anything you can say, any, any camera movement that you could do. Just let everything stop. The world suddenly stops. And it's emotional. Of course we get it, right? Um, and that stillness is in contrast to all the movement uh, and the music. So it just pops out so, so easy. Yeah. I adore awesome. it. Yeah, great, great camera work here. The war, cinematography-wise, uh, I love how underexposed it is. I mean, they really mm-hmm. push all the whites down into the in, into the exposure. Um, it's beautiful. It creates this really cold, bitter texture to everything uh, on screen um, because it feels like winter, right? Winters get overcast, and it just feels like the sun is so far away, um, and it's just absolutely perfect. And it. All of this, you know, that whole war sequence, um, the song and uh, uh, the, the conversation, the, the coldness, the visual elements, it creates this really amazing sense of inescapable doom. Like we are marching toward deaths uh, and it's just all coalescing in this really beautiful visual um, and sonic, I think, uh, story of death. And it's just perfect. Story and writing wise. Um, at the beginning, there's the death on stage. I think they do a really great job of making it feel inev- inevitable. Um, that's the scene where Cyrano kills Valver. Uh, and it's it's a tricky thing because having your hero kill someone could lose the audience. And you don't want that. You don't want your hero to be a, a bloodthirsty, you know, garbage man. <laughs> you know, you want it to feel like, oh, this was inevitable. Uh, and we love our hero for it, not be- despite it. And they, I think they do a good job, uh, right? When we start that sequence, uh, Cyrano is threatening the stage actor, right? Uh, he's telling them, hey, you got to go. Well, if you're not going to go by invitation, then I'll do it by force and violence. And now we've loaded the gun. A threat has been made, right? That's, uh, you're, you've shown a gun, you've cocked it back, and you've pointed it. Uh, we need to see that gun go off. That's the first step. And then the next step is... The actor flees, right? He literally rips through the stage uh, in order to get away from Cyrano. Uh, and so we're, there's almost a sigh of relief. Like, okay, well, no one's going to die. Maybe this isn't that kind of story. Uh, don't move so quickly. Uh, because then Valver jumps on stage 
and challenges him to a duel. And of course, Cyrano beats him after they have that fight with wards and swords. But Cyrano's going to let him live. You know, he he's begging this guy almost to live. And the guy concedes. Cyrano walks away. And with his back to him, right, Valver tries to kill him again, right, in a, in a really crappy way, right, a, a, a dishonorable way. And now, and of course, you know, Cyrano isn't, you know, anybody's fool. He kills him. And it's nice because it's not Cyrano attacking him. It's him being attacked, and it's the weight of the attack that kills him. If he had stopped at any point, this guy would not have died. And it was his own volition, his own force of will that, that took his life. And so we love Cyrano for his boldness, but also for his attempt at mercy. Um, and up, up until that point, there was just too many threats uh, to not let that loaded, loaded gun go off. And so it does feel inevitable that someone's going to die. Uh, there was just too much threat of violence and too much uh, confrontation going on in that moment to let someone get off scot-free. Beautifully, beautifully handled, I think. The pacing and structure of this thing, I think, is really fantastic, um, especially when you start to you know, realize where we're at in certain points of the film. We open by meeting Roxanne and her predicament, uh, her handmaiden. I don't know what the relationship is with, uh, between that woman and, and Roxanne, but she says it perfectly, right? She says, because Roxanne is over here you know, singing about love and how much more she would prefer love than uh, obligation or, you know, whatever this thing is uh, between her and the guys, uh, the uh, and her caretaker uh, says children need, need love. Adults need money. So there's this practical application that's being applied. Like, do you go after what you want or not? Do you go over the, uh, go with the thing that you need? Uh, and so Roxanne is now having to answer this question, which needs should be met? What does she really value the most? Uh, and that's a question that she's going to ha have to answer at some point in this movie. And then from that sequence, we meet Cyrano, right? And we soon discover his predicament that he loves Roxanne, but doubts her ability to love beyond his looks. And it's so good because Lopret <laughs> calls him out. It's so good. He says, because Cyrano is going very romantic about, you know, how much he loves and understands this woman. Uh, and and Lopret's like, well, why don't you confess? He's like, no, she could never love me. And he's like, well you don't have a very high opinion of her then mm -hmm. that she has the depth to see beyond your unique physique. So good. Such a great, you know, uh, a message. That, unique you know. physique. I, that's right. <laughs> he was like, cause he paused there, yeah. and, you know? Yeah. I remember that. I remember that. It's so and good. and, and I'll, to your point though, too, when, when the, the, the um, caretaker said, you know, uh, kids need love, adults need money and we have none. Like that helped me because I, I cannot, there's one thing I cannot stand. It's watching films about elite, the elite British in the 1800s. Like it is the worst. It is so contrite and just blah. I cannot yeah. relate to those people. So we've established that she has no money or they have little money, even though she's, you know, she's in this, she's got like a, you know, what seems like a lavish closet and is in a beautiful dress and stuff. And, but that was an important line for me as a viewer to know, okay, it's not like she has endless amounts of money. She's not like the elite, but you know, yeah. she, she's not destitute, I guess. And they do a great job later on of, uh, reminding us whenever De Guiche is like, uh, 
go get us some tea. And Roxanne shoots her a look and she's like, uh, we're out of tea. <laughs> like mm-hmm. uh, they can't afford tea, sir. Um, yeah, exactly. It's exactly. perfect. So anyway, I just want to point that out. But yes, nice. that's good. great points. And so we go to from meeting Roxanne to meeting Cyrano. Then we meet Christian. We meet him last after we've emotionally invested in Roxanne and Cyrano. And so now we've we're introducing that what could be an obstacle and he is, uh, but they, they need to do that. They need to make us feel like we need to see Cyrano and Roxanne together. And then we meet Christian. They also need to win us over with him because he's not someone that we hate. Uh, and so they introduce this fighter, but he's got a really big heart. And so they've kind of set the stage for this great love triangle. We go from there, right. To uh, immediately they strike an agreement, Cyrano and Christian Cyrano will write the letters, right. And it's so good because this is the whole conceit of this film is right here is Cyrano is going to confess his love to Roxanne via Christian. And it's taken us 45 minutes to get to this point. That's really patient. And you really do need that much time to establish these other characters and their world and the love and all the stakes that uh, are emotionally right there on the surface. Um, and also some of the, you know, other stakes that, you know, you were just talking about with like, she's broke and we need to believe that she's broken or else we may not really care about her at all. If she's just using people because uh, that's not attractive. And so they, they take us nearly 45 minutes to get to that point. Uh, which is almost halfway through the film. And so the pacing this way builds our emotional need to root uh, for almost everyone involved. Uh, But then, uh, especially Cyrano and Roxanne, and then they have Christian sing Roxanne's heart song, right? This thing that's the deepest part of your uh, wishes. Uh, And he sings the song that she sang at the beginning, And it makes us start to love Christian because now we're at a conflict. Is their love inevitable? He's a really good guy and we love Roxanne, but what about Cyrano? And so there's this really great conflict of how do we see this resolution coming to pass in a way that we're really happy? Um, And it just feels impossible, which as we've said a time or two is the, perfect place to put the audience uh in an impossible to resolve uh situation and then of course that point mm -hmm. just for a second to that point like i liked i liked that he you know is he's not dim-witted he's a smart guy but he's he says he's not eloquent and yet he sings these songs that are eloquent like when he's not around her Mm. he's eloquent he he does have uh, a, a vocabulary he does um have love for her and has a way to express it or can express it but when he gets in her presence or is required yeah. uh to put it down on paper he just can't he loses it and i actually like that that feels very real world to me i think that we're all capable of so much more um until we're asked to do that and then all of a sudden, all of these this fear and doubt comes into our mind. She's not going to like me. She's not going to like what I say. I don't know what to say. I'm going to write something stupid. Everybody's going to laugh. And that is debilitating and takes a, and gets rid of all of our creativity. And the, the brilliance of this is that it showed us that he can, but he just is is falling victim to his, his own fear. Whereas Cyrano uh, is able to, to actually use that to be more of himself you know like 
and and that's what he's able to put down on paper and say when he's singing to her in this clip that you showed. So anyway, just wanted to point out that I actually liked that he is eloquent and just feels like he's not. So. That's so good. And from there, you know, uh, Cyrano's already written his first letter and he hands it to him and uh, he delivers it to her. And that first letter kicks off another song that's kind of it's almost a music video i mean it basically is you could cut that three and a half four minutes and it really serves really well as a beautiful music video of the three of them all singing together and it's so good because it uh, i think a great musical what it tries to do is finds ways to use songs to fill in story and exposition you know it's it's one thing to have a beautiful song that informs us of how a character feels and that's that's exposition and that that's filling in some runtime too like without imagine this movie without these songs instead of a two-hour film you might be looking at two and a half to three hours uh because music can do something emotionally that without it it takes a long time to kind of make that impression on the audience it just it, it's it's the perfect substitute for story um and the the letter song does a great job of that because by the end of that song we've kind of established that the letters have been going on for a while without the song. Suddenly we're, we're trying to branch all these scenes and uh, you know, maybe you could do it in the montage. Uh, montage, that's effectively... montage. <laughs> <laughs> or it would take, you know, a lot of back and forth moments of, Oh, and this letter says this, and this letter says that. And how do you feel about them now? And like, no, nah, we can do all of that in one simple song um, and, and, you know, carry the, the audience away for uh, the reason they usually buy the ticket. Uh, I was uh, a bystander in, in, in that drive-by. And so uh, happily by the end of it, of course. So yeah, the, at, at the end of the song, there's this great exchange, like the song wraps up and we go into this uh, scene with Cyrano and Roxanne and she's uh, so thrilled and just so in love with this guy. Um, and Cyrano says, I'm pleased for you. And she's like, are you really? And he asks, why wouldn't I be? And I love that little, why wouldn't I be? Because it's him testing to see if maybe she knows about his love after all. And he's still kind of hoping that she's going to see through it all and see him. Um, of course she doesn't. And she's like, well, listening to someone go on about their own love life uh, is probably tedious for others. And, you know, it's like, okay, not yet, you know? And, he, if you, if you just pay attention to his dialogue from the moment of the bakery uh, on, he does that a lot. He's constantly testing her to see, does she know, will she pick up on the, the signs and signals? No. Okay. Um, he really needs to, to step up and confess, uh, which we'll certainly be coming back to. From that moment though, the, the whole letter sequence, we, she moves into, I need to see him. I need to, you know, see him in person. Of course, Christian blunders the in-person, uh, uh, meeting the romance there and from there he lets Cyrano take the reins right in person and that's the famous classic scene of Roxanne at the balcony which for me I love this uh this balcony scene more than Romeo and Juliet uh that's heresy I know but I think it's so much more relatable and honest it's all about what you can't say and how hard it is to say what you're trying to say as opposed to Romeo and Juliet is all about confessing and uh, thriving in the love that you found and that's cool uh, I think I relate more to Roxanne and Cyrano 
Uh, it's just so good. But we see this beautiful moment of Roxanne and Cyrano confessing their love to each other, finally. Right? And we're one step closer to them being with each other, uh, and yet still so far away. Because up until this point, the letters have been be- between them. And it's confession of love, but from a distance. Now we're, we're, we're just inside of each other. But he still can't quite cross that boundary. And... Yeah, I, I I really love it because we're starting to see the true connection between them. Um, and of course, we're more and more feeling further and further away from a, a happy resolution because there's also this great reaction uh, shots that they give to Christian. And I think the most powerful edits in a movie are usually not the person talking. It's who's reacting to what they're saying. And so finding ways to let your characters respond and react uh, to what's being said is so much more communicative than words. Um, And it's why would we not utilize that if it's a film? And this is where sloppy exposition is so frustrating because a reaction speaks so much more to an audience. Whereas uh, saying it, you know, is, is not, it, removes it steals emotional resonance um and so watching the the light bulb begin to dim and fade on while christian is watching uh cyrano sing his heart out and he's like what is this what is, what is happening now and so it's beautiful so that by the time he the light bulb fully goes on it, it's not by surprise it's not sudden it's just it's there has been some steps some gradualness to it and he said he knew it yeah yeah that's right and that was the moment mm-hmm. he really knew but he he was still too smitten with Roxanne probably to, to let his mind go too far in that direction. Um, exactly. Yeah. From there we go to immediately Christian and Roxanne marry to immediately they get sent off to war. Christian Cyrano, not Christian and Roxanne, uh, <laughs> Christian Cyrano, Cyrano go to war. And of course that's where, uh, the, the confession happens to, well, maybe not a confession, but the revelation of Christian finding out Cyrano loves her with the tears on the page uh, is so good. And at this point uh, there's this little moment um, where Christian is searching for a a word. Uh, It's our moral. We have to tell her it's our moral and Cyrano starts to fill in the word and he covers his mouth and he says obligation, right? Covering Cyrano's mouth is perfect because it's symbolizing that Christian is no longer going to let Cyrano speak for him. He speaks for himself now. Um, and of course he immediately, you know, rides off to his death. Um, and structurally we go from that to Cyrano confessing his love to discover he misjudged her, her character, and then he dies. Um, and it's very, very bitter, uh, but it's perfect. It's tragic. And it's so nice to have a tragedy on screen because I think society loves too many of these Disney fied films where everything, uh, ends well where you know Cyrano and and Roxanne ride off into the sunset together and you know what everything's going to be okay and I think it's important to have these kinds of films because we need to sit with this in our soul to feel like I might die what if I don't do x take the risk I might die and it could have been Cyrano died with still out experiencing the love that Roxanne had for him. And he stole that from Roxanne. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. How do you feel about tragedies? Do you think we actually do have enough of them? Uh, maybe that escapism, es- escapism is good. And I, like, 
let's we're we're good at the whatever the the ratio of happy endings to bitter sweet lessons um because i think that's the importance of a tragedy is uh giving a lesson that's emotionally like destructive to an audience to encourage you to to pursue something um yeah how do you feel about that i love tragedies i uh, you ha- like i think we need more of them i i think part of the the thing that I can't relate to a lot of music today is that it's way too happy and Mm. it's fine. It's fine. And I I, like, and in movies, I feel the same way. I feel like there, I mean, there has to be a cost to things and cause everything costs. And there's something about a tragedy that reminds you that, that life in general doesn't guarantee anything. And that while you might expect an outcome you don't always get it. Um, and in fact, maybe it's better that you don't in some cases. It's just a, re- it's just a reminder of, of, of that, those kinds of things. So having everything be like just a happy ending all the time, I think is too much, but having everything be a, a tragedy is also too much because yeah. life does work out sometimes and things mm-hmm. do, you know, and we, we, you know, having a good positive ending can also inspire people to, Oh, I'm going to tell her, you know, I'm going to tell her how I feel, you know, because Hey, it worked for Cyrano. (laughs) Not in this case, obviously, Uh, but kind of, but I just love, I just love tragedies. I love there being a cost to things. It makes Mm -hmm. it feel much more real. Uh, It also, you know, for lack of a better way to say it, you know, misery loves company. And I think in a lot of, in a lot of ways, um, a lot of us, especially the older we get, feel like either maybe if we made a different decision or if we, you know, our life would be better if this or if that and seeing someone, seeing other people, because we're all, you know, we're also in this social society, right? Where we see everybody happy on Instagram all the time and all, all that stuff. But really, you know, life is is hard and it's struggle and it's loss and it's it's failure, and reminding people of that in something like like a film i think is super important and and actually makes you happy hmm. which is weird like it's it's a little weird but it's also you know i kind of get it like if i watch something and there's and it's a it's a it's a tragedy i'm not happy that it that those people went through that but it does put in perspective my own life right or my own decisions or something because i'm a viewer i cannot help but relate myself to one or many of the characters that i'm watching and so so if if they fail or they didn't try at something well um then i should try you know like he failed and he didn't try okay i don't want to be that so maybe i should try or or he tried and failed well at least he tried Mm -hmm. man i should I should try like that's much more inspiring than than it all working out, you know, to me. So I love tragedy. I don't I think you're the same way, though. Yeah, same. Like, I OK, I, well said, man. I think one of the the beautiful contrasts of this film um, and the more I think you can create contrast in your characters, uh, the stronger things start to pop out because you have these two characters, Christian and Cyrano, who are so brave. They're so brave. They they risk 
violence, they risk their lives, they go to war, um, and yet they're such cowards in love. Mm-hmm. And it's it's such a beautiful idea to think that there's these men who'd rather take a bullet to the heart that kills them and instead of risk an invisible one to their heart that they just have to be vulnerable to and, and exist after taking like it, vulnerability is so much more difficult than, than, you know, fighting. It's, it really is. Yes. It's yeah. So just beautiful setup, beautiful execution. Yeah. I huge fan, um, huge fan of tragedies for all the reasons you just said, yes, life is hard and we need reprieve and in, in some of these stories, but uh, there is something beautiful. And I think if we looked out through our, our you know, history, Globally, probably uh, the best films that survived the test of time are tragedies like are things mm-hmm. where uh, we we feel deeply uh, and are deeply upset that it didn't go the way we wanted wanted them to. Yeah. And I could stand. Yeah, a few you might not have these. heard of Midsummer Night's Dream, but you know about Romeo and Juliet. That's right. <laughs> you know That's everything right. that happens about Romeo. And, Ju- and it, it has nothing to do. It might have something to do with the Leo version. But even if it doesn't, you still know the story, you know? Yeah. It survives for a reason. Yeah. Uh, Final thoughts. It sounds like you were kind of divided on how much you actually enjoyed this as a movie, probably not so much, but just as a, as a, you know, decently executed musical on screen a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's a great way to put it. It's like, if I was watching this as a movie, no, I'd I'd see a bunch of stuff where I was like, I would do I don't why they do that or whatever, but I I think that the the point of this, it, at least it felt like to me, was to pay an homage to the the, the stage play, oh. and um and I think that they did that with in spades, right? And not all the music hit for me, but when it did, oh, it really did. I mean, I'll I'll say that that the moments in the cave with Glenn Hansard and and Heaven is Wherever I Fall, that track like just melted me like not many songs on screen ever have i mean it's so funny because the only one of the only other times where i could say that it did was also it also had glenn hansard on screen so (laughs) maybe we need to work with glenn hansard i think we absolutely do i mean uh, yes yes that guy i mean um but but anyway yeah uh i think that like peter dinklage's performance is fantastic hearing him sing is amazing and and I just I love that. I, and the execution and uh, adding not just a bunch of white people and then not calling it out. I loved that. Um, yeah, I, f- I did feel like like, oh, man, two hours, you know, felt a little bit long to me. Mm-hmm. But I also didn't mind it in the end because I thought I got some really good moments that, you know, I wouldn't want to be on the chopping block for sure. Yeah. So yeah. it was worth it for sure. Yeah. Nice. Same. I, I, I feel, I really do feel largely the same. Um, I, for me, it does work as a movie. I can sit here and watch it and, but I do have to overcome some of the hurdles. Like there's, if you remove all the songs and just look at the dialogue, probably 30% of the dialogue still has a very stage like delivery and and execution. Um, and it's that, that thing where you're still, overdoing it you're you're over preparing it uh i heard i think it was either scorsese or spielberg call it bedroom uh dialogue where you prepare this thing in the bedroom 
and then you get on set and you do it just perfectly. Um, it's that. Whereas mm. for me, the stuff that I love in film is it's, it's under delivered. It's, you know, has a little bit of chaos in the delivery and the sense that the actor might be surprised they said it that way and it didn't feel right. That's probably the yeah. good stuff is when it doesn't feel right. It, because that's humans. Um, the, every time you've ever rehearsed a speech to someone in your head and gone to deliver it, it's gone awry. <laughs> like it did not yeah. come out the way you intended. And that's the good stuff. Uh, and so there's these moments where it's just to himself when people are really just talking for their own sake of, of hearing what they have to say. Those are the beautiful moments, you know, when, uh, uh, Cyrano is getting ready to march off to, to war and he's still at the, the foot of the balcony and Roxanne is telling him, you know, don't, don't let him be cold. And he's like, I can't promise you that. I can't promise you that either. And then she's like, well, you know, make, make sure he writes me. And we just sit, watch him process it. Cause we already know. And he, obviously, and he's like that, I can promise you. And he just says it to himself. Those are these very strong moments to me. That's like, that's film. That's what film does well. And I don't know if there's just something inherent about adapting a stage play that like interrupts that process. Uh, but I wish, you know, we could see more of that, of less of the stage aspect and more of what film does well, which is getting you into someone's personal space where it is just these very small comments to one another. Like that's so engaging and, and, you know, heartfelt for sure to me anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was just thinking about the scene when they were marching off into war where, where Cyrano gets shot, mm. how you never see the other side because they're marching into fog. I thought that was really cool. That was like something that you would do in a play. You know what I mean? Yeah. On a stage because yeah. you don't have room to show, you know, everybody, <laughs> like both sides really. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So no, anyway, that's a good point. I don't cool. even yeah. know if they ever tell us what country we're in. Like we're kind of assuming yeah, England or France, but they don't say even whenever he addresses a letter that he mails to her uh, on the enemy side, uh, it just says Roxanne. It doesn't give an address at all. And so uh, it's just kind of left up to you. Uh, they use red and white, which is in like every country's flag uh, in that era. <laughs> and so, yeah, it could be anything. I mean, it, it Cyrano it is French. Oh, he is? is France. Oh, he is France. Yeah, he is actually like a like a real life French writer. Ah, okay. I but didn't know that. I know they use all like these French names but... like Valver and De Guiche, uh, but I, mm -hmm. like Roxanne and, and Christian don't sound particularly yeah. frog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great point. <laughs> uh, it was back in sixteen hundreds, but but then the 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 screen, or I mean, the stage play was written in like the late eighteen hundreds. Yeah, like eighteen ninety seven. I think yeah. is what I read. Um, yeah, but it's based in France. Yeah, nice. So. Um, well done, sir. Uh, what are you going to recommend this week? I mean, I'm going to go, you know, on 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 the nose. Ah, I already know. And recommend Roxanne. Yeah. Yes, yes, which is Steve Martin's version, comic comedic version of this from 1987, which is a fantastic film. Let me just say, Steve Martin crushes in this movie and the way that they turn this, this story, yes, into a comedy is brilliant. It's just brilliant. In fact, it, and it makes me want to go watch it today because I just remember watching this as a kid and laughing my butt off, you know, 
uh, but also being heartbroken a little bit at the same time. And, and it just, and then felt good, you know, like yeah. it was just really, uh, Steve Martin is just a genius, all time genius. And I mean, you could, he, some of his films, you question like, why'd you do that? But for the most part, like, I just love seeing him on screen. He's hilarious. And he does a great job at adapting uh, this story. So Roxanne. Yeah. Nice. I actually considered recommending that one too. Like I grew up on this movie and my, the extent of knowledge of this play comes from that movie. Um, and fact, Agreed. to the, to the point of, I just assumed that was the the flaw of the character. I still don't even know if this version of uh, Cyrano is, is accurate. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I can still remember certain moments, uh, certainly the balcony scene and, and Roxanne, but even in the opening uh, sequence of when we meet, quote unquote Cyrano this version of Cyrano um and the pic- pictures do you remember the photographs that he's looking at um yes <laughs> that's so yes. good yeah Steve Martin is a freaking genius so uh double that recommendation I am gonna recommend if you're watching this and you're like man Kelvin Harrison Jr. is so good can he bring it can does he got anything else in the tank he does I'm gonna recommend a movie uh that he does called Waves um and I was split on this. Uh, the story is so good. All the acting is so good. Uh, the first half of the movie, they're doing some interesting, but I think overwrought things with the camera. Um, and so it's a little dicey, but it still works. It still really, really works. It's a great movie. Um, it also has Taylor Russell in it, and she is also amazing. And so if you just want to see uh, another uh, film with Kelvin Harrison Jr., you should absolutely check out Waves. Uh, yeah, good, good drama. Um, yeah, stay tuned for uh, next week. We're going to go back to the Aronofsky playbook and take a look at a little film called The Fountain. And yeah, it's got Hugh Jackman and Rachel Weiss, uh, and probably yes. one or two other people, but that's certainly the uh, the, the, the duo. Um, headlining that thing and so yeah uh, i don't know if it's streaming i assume it's streaming somewhere uh if not uh it, you can you can buy it for like two bucks uh, on like youtube mm-hmm. or google play yeah uh, so stay tuned for that and if you're enjoying the show don't forget drop us a review uh, subscribe leave us a note if there's something you want us to cover a film that you we haven't touched on yet that you want to do uh we have a couple coming up that i'm really excited about and yeah so so check in if you want to comment on this episode uh you can do that at thepestlepodcast.com slash cyrano and our quote of the day today is from leo tolstoy everyone thinks of changing the world but no one thinks of changing himself that's that's great that's so good that's so good it reminds me of what the, the little thing i sent earlier of of like how you can uh, uh, I sent to you and Scott, I think, of how you can, uh, uh, the multiple different worlds and multiple different versions. Oh. And if you change yourself, you can like literally go into a different version of, uh, uh, or a different universe almost, right? A parallel universe where you're, where the world is different, but you've only changed yourself. That is, that's a, that's a script right there. <laughs> it really is. It really yeah. is. Like, uh, Leo Tolstoy obviously is a, he's written some incredible works around the same time of Cyrano being created um, and if anyone knows about tragedy uh, Tolstoy is probably number one on the list uh, and I think this is just so good to apply to Cyrano because um, everything that he was trying to do was really outside of his power the one thing within his power uh, was to just have courage and to trust her 
uh, and he just refused to do it until until his last day. Not that it doesn't really take a lot of courage on your dying, you know, breath to confess what you what you really feel or what you really wish uh, you you'd done differently uh, because you don't have to stick around for the consequences. It takes a lot of courage uh, to to step out on a limb when you still got another fifty years left in you, you know, um, or even just another six months. Like it, it takes so much more courage to see the results of your risk. Um, and so I love applying this kind of uh, uh, idea to to Cyrano and uh, maybe to our lives because I love man. Well said. Like changing yourself will feel like you're changing the world all around you. And to a certain extent, you really are. Yeah. Because you, your world is what you see it as. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. A lot of thought in there. Lots. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, great insights there, Wes, on, on all those things. I love talking about this stuff. I could talk about it all yeah. day. Uh, if you like what we're doing, please, please, like subscribe all that good stuff uh make a suggestion if there's a film that you'd like to to see us um pull apart peel apart uh we'd love to hear from you um and share us with your friends it all helps until next time i'm todd i'm wes go watch some movies